0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip podcast. You know the mission here, Compass Bible Church. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything that we do here at Compass Bible Church is to fulfill that Mission, including this very podcast that we have going on right now that I trust is another resource to help equip you uh, in your faith to grow up in maturity in Christ Jesus. Well, what a wonderful weekend we had celebrating baptism, six souls stepping up publicly, proclaiming their faith in Christ Jesus through believers' baptism. Wasn't that a wonderful A wonderful expression of the goodness and love of God in those baptisms. We also, along with that, had a sermon entitled Gospel 101, The Holiness of God, and the text that we exposited was Isaiah 6, 1-7, and I'll read that for you now. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips." atoned for. What a wonderful verse, verse 17, that, that God would say, Behold, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Imagine that r- reality for Isaiah, for the, for him recognizing his sin before a holy God, and then him being covered, his guilt being taken away, his sin being paid for by God. And that same truth that every Christian has in their own life that we can say that God has said our guilt is taken away and our sin is atoned for. And that precious truth finds in itself that context of the holiness of God, right? The guilt being taken away and the sin being atoned for finds its full meaning in understanding what it means that God is holy. I mean, those words, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for, uh, has a different uh, density to it, if you will. A, a, A different weight when you understand why it was necessary for guilt to be taken away, why it was necessary for sin to be atoned for, when we recognize, like Isaiah did, that woe is me because I have seen the Lord. The preaching point for this text is this knowledge of God's holiness should cause you to confess your need for God to cleanse you from your sin. And we express this preaching point in three points, three teaching points for you on Sunday. Number one, you need to have a clear vision of God's holiness. We, we even talked about in the sermon that if we want to know how to live in light of who God is, we have to have a clear vision of God's holiness. If we're going to know how to interact with God and how to relate to God, we have to relate to him based upon who he is, and if he is in his very essence holy, the epitome of what it means to be set apart in pure that that's the basis of how we begin to relate to God based upon who He is, not based upon who I think God is or who I've, in my mind, conjured up to who God is or who, who I've deduced who God is. I've got to recognize who is God. And if He is holy, then that begins the foundation of how I would relate to God. Secondly, we need to properly respond to God's holiness. Like, I recognize that I've got to define the, God, the holiness of God in the way that he's revealed himself to us in Scripture, but then I then need to be taking that and using Scripture and uh, its application. I need to be asking myself, well, how do I properly respond to God's holiness? I mean, there is just a-, a litany of ways that we would express our relationship to God based upon his holiness. I mean, a good example is in verses 4 and 5 of Isaiah 6, well, we see what creation did. The foundations of the temple shook, and the whole temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am lost. I mean, here is just one response that we see in Scripture of creation in the presence of the holiness of God. And we see even the, the, uh, the seraphim, we see their response to the holiness of God. I mean, they're covering up their eyes, they're covering up their feet, they're flying in the air, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, for the whole earth is full of the manifestation of His holiness. I mean, what a wonderful picture of the proper ways to respond to God's Holiness. Now, for you and me as Christians, there is a lot of day-to-day application to this, and really, I like to describe some of the way that we apply it based upon the illustration I used on Sunday uh, about living with a wild lion. Once we've identified what this thing is—that this is a beast, is a wild uh, lion—we then start having to make some real practical decisions when that lion's living in our home about how we are going to respond. Uh, to this wild lion. And it really does change the way that we live some basic aspects of our life. When I used a good, funny example of, you know, if you got to go to the bathroom and that lion is walking through the bathroom, who's going to the bathroom first? That lion's going. I mean, you're just understanding that, oh, in light of who that lion is, I understand my place in this house. The same way, you're cooking a steak out in the backyard, you see that lion over there licking his chops, and uh, you look at that steak and you say, well, I guess I'll I'll wait for the next one. I mean, this idea of like, th- th- it, that lion precedes you. That, that lion is, is before you because of the identity and the def- definition of that lion. So you respond to that lion in light of what that lion is. And I like that example because you would only make the mistake of misidentifying that lion one time, right? You would only cross that line one time as you assume maybe that that lion is super cuddly, that that lion uh, wants you really close to him in, in that sense, or maybe, you know, you want to push that lion out of the way so you can watch whatever you want there on your streaming services, and that lion just gives you one little swipe and uh, you're devastated for life, right? I mean, this idea that you would only make a mistake one time, and so therefore you would recognize, I'm not going to make that mistake. It's a lion. And uh, in the same way, we we have a God who uh, is described a lot like a lion, but it's a wonderful truth that we have uh, a God who loves us, which I'd like to describe even that idea of love in a minute as we put it in its proper framework. Uh, But we have a God who is described often like a lion, but a lion and a God who loves us, and so there is a way we can draw near to God. There is God's desire for us to dwell with Him, and so unlike a lion that uh, we would probably need to keep our distance from, we have a God that wants to draw near to us, but the uh, magnificence of drawing near to God is the fact that we could draw near to Him in His holiness. right? And that's be- Then we begin asking ourselves, well, how do I do that as a Christian? Like, how do I go to him and start praying to God in light of his holiness? And, you know, one of the practical things you can do is begin your prayers like that. Holy God. I mean, we see Jesus doing that in the Sermon on the Mount as he prays. Our Father, hallowed be your name, who art in heaven, right? This idea that he's, he's transcendent, he's holy, he's set apart. What a wonderful way to begin your prayers and to begin any decision that you make. You can say, my Father, who are in heaven, holy is your name. Now, how do I live in light of that holiness? I mean, what you should be asking yourself every single day. And so you need to be responding properly to God's holiness. You need to be asking and making applications uh, to your own life and how you live based upon who God is. And that third point there, you need to confess your need for holiness. We see uh, Isaiah doing just that in verses 6 and 7. He says, I'm as good as dead. And then God, in his absolute love and kindness, symbolically uh, has one of the seraphim fly over, take a burning coal from the altar with tongs, and he goes over there and he touches the mouth of Isaiah, which which we talk all about Luke 6.45, and how it's out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks, and so another symbolic Uh, representation there is that as he the angel takes the burning coal and touches the lips of isaiah that he's atoning for the sin of all of isaiah right he's touching the lips but he's really purifying the whole body uh, that he atones for his sin there and his guilt is taken away and that comes upon the proper response of isaiah toward god Woe is me, I have seen the Lord, and the Lord in his kindness and goodness purifies him and atones for his sin. And we, as a New Testament church, must take that in its context, and then we need to bridge it over to the New Testament to see how in in this current dispensation of how God deals with us, he deals with us through the fulfillment of Christ and his messianic prophecies from the Old Testament that say that there is one coming, which we see in the rest of Isaiah too which, you know, I didn't, I didn't have as much time to go through all of the text of Isaiah, but so many examples, Isaiah 53, 5 through 6 is a good one. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And we all like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, of us all. I mean, all of that, that idea of the sin being taken from us and transferred to Christ. And that he has then given us and imputed to us his righteousness. I mean, we see that even there in the picture. Before we even get to the New Testament, we don't even have to go to the New Testament to explain what Christ has done for us on the cross. We even see in the, when you think about the apostles, you think about the early church, how did they explain to the world who Jesus was. They use the Old Testament. What about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? As he goes, Philip goes over to the Ethiopian eunuch and he's reading Isaiah and uh, and Philip said, do you know what you're reading? And, and the, the Ethiopian eunuch says, well, how could I unless somebody explains it to me? And then Philip just begins expositing the Old Testament and showing him who Jesus is and you know what? The Ethiopian eunuch gets saved and gets baptized. And so you should look at the Old Testament understanding that it is clearly portraying who Jesus is. But we do see it further illuminated in the New Testament, this idea of atonement. We see it there, like I already shared this text in uh, service on Sunday, Colossians 1, 19 through 23. We need to confess our need for holiness because it is in him, in Christ, the fullness of God, which includes the holiness of God, was pleased to dwell in Christ. And through Christ, to reconcile to himself... Everything, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Right. This was the problem. Verse 21, we were alienated, we were hostile in mind to God. We were doing evil deeds, and through the blood of the cross of Christ, we have been purified, making peace with us through the blood of the cross. And he, in verse 22, Christ has now reconciled in his body, Of flesh by his death. And this is why we talk about why does it matter that Jesus was perfect? Because he reconciled in his body our souls. And so there had to be something in who he is in his uh, ontology, in who he is in his existence. In his body of flesh, as it bore our sin, it had to be sufficient. He had to be sufficient to bear our sins. And his death was sufficient because of who he was, because he was the epitome of holiness. He was the fullness of God and his holiness. In order to, the rest of verse 22, to present you holy. I mean, that is the picture of all of Scripture, that we were that we need to be holy, that we need to be set apart, that we need to be cleansed and purified to be in relationship with God, and he has made us holy and blameless, and he presents us to God above reproach. And that is a beautiful story of the gospel that we see in Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. Now, I didn't get very many questions, so I always want to encourage you guys to ask questions, uh, because if you're wondering it, perhaps somebody else is too. And it would make this uh, segment of the podcast a lot more fun if you guys ask some more questions. Uh, One thing that I did want to bring up and make note of is the love of God and the holiness of God. Uh, We, and I I talked about it in both services, and we need to think about the love of God because it's such a major theme in all of Scripture, that God loves us, that God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life, that God loved the world, that He created the world, all of it, right? And (laughs) everything that is in existence, God in His wonderful love created those things. Now, how do creation relates to God is the next question. Right, and I, as I've briefly discussed that previously in this podcast, this concept of the holiness of God. We must see love within the context of God's holiness. Right? That's what makes things like John 3.16, verses like John 3.16, uh, m- very uh, meaningful and uh, very clear in its, in its understanding. Right, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe in them would not perish, right? This idea, why in the world does the Son of God has to come and die for us so that we would not perish? Why would we perish? Because of the holiness of God. That I means the holiness of God means the perfectness of God, the purity of God, that impurity would not be able to stand before him. That even as Isaiah says, Woe is me, I'm as good as dead, right? He recognized that the holiness of God in the midst of unclean humanity, we would we would absolutely die. And and we would die not just because of the the emanation of the holiness of God, but because the holiness of God requires the justice of God. If the holiness of God means that he's pure and righteous and everything he does is in the perfect measure of righteousness and holiness, then he has to be just. And the just penalty for sin is death. Right? We, we recognize as appointed once for man to die, then comes judgment, right? For the wages of sin, Romans 3. Uh, for the wages of sin is death, And we recognize that and we see that the holiness of God plays perfectly into the justice of God. And that does frame and put into context why the love of God is so powerful and potent in Scripture. Because if that God is holy, that He is just, means so much to me that He's also loving. Because that's why He sent His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in His Son to take on our sin on our behalf and then He would impute to us positional holiness. He would, he would then uh, fill us with His Holy Spirit, who would then grow us up into salvation, according to 1 Peter 2, 2, that we may grow up into our salvation, that we're wearing clothes that are too big, our shoes are too big, but we have this salvation, this wonderful gift, and God has called us, as He saved us, to then grow up into the salvation that He has bestowed upon us. And so we must look at love, biblical love, God's love, in the context of His holiness. Because if not, we begin misrepresenting what it means for God to love us. Instead of saying that God loves us, and because He's holy and just, this is why Christ died, we begin by starting with love so often as we begin mitigating the justice of God. We begin uh, hindering what it means for God to be holy, and then we begin begin in our own minds, in our world, extrapolating what, what, what it could possibly mean for us as Christians that simply just that God loves us that simply God loves us without wrapping that in the context of God's holiness. Uh, Because so many people who have taken this out of context have used the quote-unquote love of God as a license to do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. And if God loves me, then why does it matter? In my life, God has already loved me in spite of anything that I've ever done. It's like, yes, but you recognize he's loved you that he would make you holy because the holiness is, is the, the reality of God's love displayed to you in Christ that he would make you holy. We just read that in Colossians. Like, God didn't just love you to leave you. That's not love. That would be hate. He loved you to purchase you and to cleanse you for himself. And that is how we must think about God's love in light of the narrative of Scripture. All right, church, I'm so grateful that you tuned in for this week's episode of the Compass Equip podcast. A couple announcements. Exploring Compass starts next week, so be sure that if you haven't signed up for the next session of Exploring Compass, you do so. If you want to learn more about our church or be a part of our church, we have the Students Discipleship Now Coming up very quickly, February fifteenth through the eighteenth, you can sign up today. Register online at compasshillcountry.org/students, and you can find out more information. The price is seventy-five dollars, which that price will go up in February, so don't delay in signing up. Our women's Bible study starts back up on the twenty-eighth. You'll be looking at Philippians chapter one, I believe, verses three through six, and don't forget that exegetical question that you'll see at the bottom of your Sunday worksheets every week that will attach, they will be in concert with the passages we're studying through the book of Philippians. So men and women, that exegetical question on the bottom of your Sunday worksheet is for you to continue studying uh, throughout the month our men's and women's Bible study text, and then we'll jump once a month into the text a little deeper as we're learning more about Paul's letter to the Philippian church. So don't miss that, don't miss that exegetical question there on Sunday Mornings, Uh, as you're listening right now, our weekly podcasts are back. So make sure that everyone you know knows these life these podcasts are here and they're published every week for you to listen to and enjoy. If there's anybody in your life group who doesn't know that this exists, I pray that you would let them know and help them uh, with more resources to uh, continue growing in their faith here at Compass Bible Church. All right, life groups and members and guests of Compass. So grateful for all of you. I look forward to seeing you again next week.